Yo! Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are currently discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And this episode, we come to an interesting... Uh, is th- this is not the first split seven inch, is it? What's the first, first split one? seven no. inch? First split seven inch. Yeah, but no. not the first split. Iceburn engine kid. Uh huh. First split. First one. Well, I mean, if you want to get real into the woods, we could say that the bold youth of today CD. Ah, that's very true. <laughs> that's true. Split. But uh, then there is Iceburn engine kid. So this is the first split seven inch on Revelation Records, right? Jason, yeah, yeah. Tell us, sure tell us what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about Revelation Records number fifty-three. The I call it the Good Riddance Ignite Split, released in nineteen ninety-six. I think a lot of people may refer to it as the Ignite Good Riddance Split. I mean, so if, it's coming up in Discogs. If you want to go uh, alphabetically, right? Then it's it's Good Riddance Ignite. Yeah, I have it filed under G. I think, G. I think the my, Ignite uh, the Ignite side looks more like. The backside of a record to me, the artwork Agreed. does at least. Wait, 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 uh, Greg. Do you also alphabetize your splits, or do you put them in a separate splits area? I just alph. I mean, it's just funny because we just did. I grabbed a seven inch that we discussed on an episode that's not going to air yet, so I don't want to say anything. Um, I wish you had the little beep out feature. I could say it and it could be <laughs> redacted. Out, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I noticed that the good riddance uh, I have in the G's. So it's uh-huh. like good riddance and then Gorilla Biscuits or whatever. Do you have multiple good riddance seven inches? Nope, just that. Huh. Do you have multiple Ignite seven inches? Nope, just that. Well, see, <laughs> I, I tend to keep my splits and comps at the end. Usually. They usually do, but again, usually. like Jason said, for some reason, this seven inch, the good riddance part, mm-hmm. their side of it looks like the front cover of like what it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, yeah, like I have my ice burn engine kid split with my ice burn stuff for some reason, even though I have engine kid records too. But I digress. I don't want to get too in the weeds. Yeah, I think before we. Uh, well, what do it, we have? What do we have? We have a cool. I think we have a cool discussion that. Um, well, be, be, hey, before that, we have to. Before we kick it, we have to shout it. Oh yeah, that's right. We 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 sh- Come on, shout Greg. then kick. Yeah, we shout and then kick. That's usually the way that it is with kids, right? Yeah, kids are usually a shout and then a kick. So I want to give a, a bit of bow to this episode sponsor, War Records. Um, actually, by the time this episode airs, people have, will have had almost a week with the new Birthhold City album, um, which is called When Words Are Not Enough, uh, out March 18th. So at this point, it'll be all the talk, I'm sure because it's a highly anticipated uh, LP. Jason does back, uh, not backup, Jason does vocals, uh, has vocal part on a track. That's right. Super excited to hear that. Um, You can visit www.war-rec.com. Tons of stuff. They have the Berthold City stuff. They've got merch. 
They've got uh, the Bent Blue. I see their, the Bent Blue demo with extra tracks has been circulating now. Uh, that's out. People are getting them in the mail. It looks super nice, as always. I mean, we've already talked about all the war stuff looks great. Um, Enact uh, LP, self-titled, will be coming out soon. Fixation LP uh, coming out. And then a Bent Blue LP of new music, not, uh, you know, this last one was a demo with some extra tracks, like we, like I said. Um, but definitely hit up the War website. They got great merch, great records. Um, and you can really just pick anything on there, and it's going to be good. Yeah, I just scrolled through. There's a bunch of cool stuff on there, a bunch of cool shirts for Berthold City, the War Records bucket hat that Greg wore and looks sick. And then... Uh... I don't know. Everything just looks super pro and well thought out. And Andrew's doing awesome with promoting the Burfold City LP. And I'm psyched to hear the thing start to finish because I've only heard the song that I guess. I was going to say, you only heard. So talk, since this is talk real quick, uh, now that the LP will be out about how that came together, you doing the vocals. Yeah, it was just something where Lennis Garcis, mutual friend, friend of the pod. Love Lennis. Yeah. You may know him for his artwork, the American Nightmare Angel. Just said, yeah, Andrew was talking about maybe seeing if you wanted to guess on the Berthold City record. Dave Ito, I credit for getting CMO signed with Indecision. The story I always heard was that he was the one that uh, said that Dave should go and work with us when we expressed interest in trying to be on Indecision because Tom Flies was on there. So I always have a place in my heart for Ito for putting us on the path to put out records with Dave and um, Andrew sent me a couple songs that he thought I would be good to guest on. And I ended up recording the guest vocals for this song in uh, my good friend, Matt Michaels closet, who now owns a, a proper studio space. But this was when it was bare bones. He just moved into a new uh, house, but he has a studio called Viva studio in Virginia. He's recorded for trail of guilt. Uh, Amanda McKay's band, Bedmaker, and just a bunch of other cool bands. Nice. So it was awesome. It was just a cool, fun thing to do during the pandemic. And I'm excited to hear the record and see them when they play shows. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to hear uh, to hear the album. And uh, huh, we got anything else? Nope. Oh, I, don't think I so. got one thing before we get into the interview. Yep. With Russ Rankin of Good Riddance fame. Um, can people buy the one-up tape from Contraband Goods? Um, it's actually not out until 4:20. Okay, just kidding. So it's, out on, it's out on 3:24. You heard it here first. <laughs> 3:24, which you know, I know that there's a certain uh, anniversary for Edge Day, whatever. It's just some arbitrary number that hardcore kids made up. But I always thought the Edge Day should be March 24th because X is the 24th letter of the alphabet. Three X's just makes sense to me. But so that's when we're releasing it. Um, it'll be available. The one up discography, many miles from home, many miles, miles long. long, many miles long from home uh, with artwork from Jason Mazzola will be available from contraband and from hell minded. Each of us have our own um, exclusive color and also There'll be some available at RevHQ. So this you'll this is uh, the first you'll be hearing of it. Um, this episode airs March 16th, correct? 
for uh 23rd this is march 23rd oh okay. so so it'll go up tomorrow oh there tomorrow. you go Perfect hey time tomorrow yeah. i don't even know what day it is anymore but yes march <laughs> march 24th so if you listen to this you have a don't do it one up don't do it uh, <laughs> you have a one, uh, one up on anybody good else pool. uh and actually i i prior to doing this podcast i had not even heard of one up i'm not gonna lie it's not a surprise i, mean, I did not i did not I swerve, I've said this before, I swerve the posi numbers scene pretty, pretty hard. And you guys were kind of a staple of that scene. Um, and I enjoy listening to One Up now. I think the discography is awesome. Well, I've told you. my current band that there are some riffs that we should steal. Please and do. also the artwork came out really, really nice. And it's been really cool to work with everyone involved so there we go one up many miles any, long far from home any other any other bit of bows i got one go ahead what the hell hey bit of bow to all the patrons that sponsor the pod help us out with the money that we use to keep things going on this journey but especially a bit of bow to our own javier for uh getting the shirts made and printed for those patrons and then hand dyeing uh, 21 shirts for the patrons, which was our uh, homage to the Rasta Bob Marley shirt that Richie from Underdog was wearing on the Underdog Demos LP cover. I think you did an awesome job and then just putting that much work and effort into something as a gift to the patrons, I think really... Uh, expresses how much we value their support so thank yeah, you to them it, and thank you to you it, it was a pretty crazy project and uh i had fun doing it it was cool it was exciting all of us you know the three of us talking about it watching it go from jason's design to you know my dying of each shirt uh it was it was fun it was cool no extras no extras. No extras. Sorry. You can ask Richie to buy his signed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was all. And I love stuff like that. Like, it's uh, like we talked about. It's a level of nerdery that I appreciate. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, knowing how much time was put into this on your end, Hav, especially, you know, it's a lot of work. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, the level of nerdery that I don't want to wear it puts into their shirts sometimes. Like making a polo shirt in the colors of the basketball gym that Guy Picciotto was photographed hanging upside down in. Like In Philly, by the way. Yeah, like that is gnarly. That So that yeah. kind of stuff. And that, like the Haagen-Dazs shirt, they didn't, didn't they do that right? Yeah. And it, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's in that vein. And, um, also, and did you know, that, that, that Gee, uh, show with the, you know, the basketball hoop show mm -hmm. in Philly was put on by a prior guest of the pod, my friend, Mickey Lynch, who does, um, uranium rush records. He did that Jaren's, um, double LP. He was the one that booked that show Fugazi. I think it was their first show in Philly. Oh, interesting. So, Bit of bow to him, so cool. 
Cool. Yeah, we talked to Russ. Uh, Jason and I got to sit and talk with Russ as a longtime Good Riddance fan. Um, I was really stoked on it. Russ has a um, a new LP, a solo LP out. If you check his socials, Russ, Russ Rankin on Instagram, uh, there's ways to listen and order it. And it was really cool. It was it was cool. I've, I saw Good Riddance a lot in the 90s. They were always a good time. Um, that's all I got. Yep. Let's kick it. Russ. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Russ. Kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it. Kick it. Let's go. All right. What's that up, was your, everybody? That was your first good riddance thing, then you were probably disappointed when you found out there's a lot of pop stuff in there. No. No, dude. I, no. Especially Jason's like, no. Well, we my first good riddance was actually Comprehensive Guide. So when I heard the when I heard the split songs, I loved that it was so much more hardcore than I expected, if that makes sense. Um I don't know if that was a lot of people's experience or if you could see that. Um, was it noticeable to you, the different crowds? Were there different crowds in your perception between Rev and Fat Rack at the time? We we toured a lot with hardcore bands because we, especially Chuck and I, really, we grew up with a lot of the, the, the 80s, late 80s Rev stuff and, and uh, going to see hardcore shows as well as punk shows. And so for us, we we had just as much fun touring with Sick of It All as we did touring with like a Fat Records band. And we loved their music and a lot of the bands like that. And so for us, it wasn't, a, it wasn't that big a deal, but we did find that when we toured with bands like that, we had not always the best uh, crowd reaction. Like we were trying to like bridge the gap and expose people to different things and like expose ourselves to, to people that would never have seen us and and like the the results varied let's just say <laughs> yeah yeah like um, i i knew just from you know so this came out in 96 um so to date myself here as well and i think because you know one thing we've learned kind of too with doing this podcast is context is very important where, how old you were where you were at that point in life so I was 15 and, you know, I knew the fat record stuff. I knew no effects. I liked no effects. Um, but I was shocked when I saw, wait, good riddance. I, I thought they're on fat. They're on, they have this split with ignite and I had never heard ignite either. And people have been talking about, you know, how great ignite were like on the East coast ignite at that time. Cause calling my brothers had come out the year before, like everyone was like, you know, especially in like Jersey, I'm in Philly, like people were always talking about Ignite. And um, when I got this record and I played the good ridden stuff, I was like, oh, wow. Like, this is not what I expected at all. Like, it was like, I remembered at the time being like, it almost sounded like born against meets like, you know, just straight up fast, melodic, hardcore. But then I got comprehensive guide after this. And I loved that too. Like I, then I started working my way through, uh, through the, the good riddance catalog, but yeah, this was like what 
introduced me to the band and kind of like made me realize like, okay, just because a band's on fat doesn't mean that they're, um, you know, like no effects. Like when I found out that you were straight edge, you know, I was, I was like, oh my God, that, there's a band with straight edge people on it on fat. That's insane. Cause I just knew from reading, you know, about no effects and everything. And then of course, good riddance. And then I got into propaganda and then realized like there was like kind of a little bit more of a nuance to fat records than I thought. And there became even more later on. Yeah. I think, I think they did a great job, the label of, of really branching out and just trying to find like the coolest bands, like what bands that were doing something really cool, regardless of like what their little box that people would put them in and fat would, fat would get behind them. Uh, so like the Swing and Utters, uh, Jillinger 4, eventually sick of it all. Like mm -hmm. it, it didn't, it wasn't so much that, like Fat Records started out kind of the way you guys are talking about, like there was an assumption about all the bands and the way that the band sounded. And, and early on, I, I think that that probably was va a valid observation, but I think quick, pretty quickly, like our experience being on label from very early on, like that it, it, it branched out and I think helped a lot of different types of bands and hopefully exposed people to different types of music. Yeah, it was like, well, we're Revelation too. I mean, you look at a label like Revelation, like we, you know, when we talk about like one, Rev one through 10, like, you know, side by side, don't sound like Texas is the reason or sense field, but there was like this stigma attached where people probably thought, oh, Rev, they're a New York hardcore label. So something that doesn't sound like that it's not gonna, um, you know, they're not gonna be welcome on the label or, or whatever. Um, speaking though of fat, I was wondering actually, as I was thinking, does Good Riddance besides No Effects have the most releases on fat? I mean, you guys have, I'm thinking of all the albums and, and EPs and stuff, like it has to be up there. I think we have nine, but I, that, that can't be the most. Like it's gotta be uh, Lagwagon or or maybe propaganda, or maybe strung out. I would say just off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah, I'm curious. Well, well, Jason, we'll have to do our homework. Yes, very true. So Russ, for the songwriting, for these songs, I saw that they were, all the songs that went to splits were left over from Comprehensive Guide. So what was your thought process on picking what songs were gonna be left off of that record? So we got done, uh, yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird time, not a weird time, but like an interesting time in our band because 95, we put out our first album, which had ended up being like a lot of bands, first albums, songs that we'd been kicking around and playing for like three or four years, as well as a few songs that got written right, right at the 11th hour before we recorded Forgotten Country. But most of those songs were, were not new, uh, for us. And then we toured. That was the first year we did a lot of touring. We did a really long tour in Europe that fall with Tilt. And that was like the kind of the end of our touring on Forgotten Country. And so we got home from that tour and we'd all quit our jobs because we basically had so many tours lined up that we realized we had to. Mm -hmm. and we were all we were all kind of terrified because we didn't know if it was going to work out or we'd be able to pay our rent or whatever. But um, we got home from that European tour. And it was time to write a new album, which was a new thing for us. We'd never 
that was like a, you know, a lot of bands do that, but that was our first time where we actually had like, okay, we're going to write a new album and we're going to record it on this date and it's going to be released on this date and fat knows all about it. And so we, and during that uh, 95, like during that first year of touring, uh, I had become sort of like the song main, main songwriter of the band or like I decided to just take that on or like try to write songs and then not just like go to practice with a riff and then have someone else gaffer tape a rip to that and then gaffer tape another riff to that. Like I actually, a lot of this is because of Tony. He, he told me that I should be at the songwriter of the band. He told me that I was a good songwriter. He, he gave me a lot of like, a lot of inspiration. Uh, we roomed together on a tour that we, that, that no use and we did. And uh, so I started, uh, we got back to that tour and then I started writing. And so I'm sitting down with my guitar and I'm now I'm trying to write whole songs. So a beginning, a middle, a bridge. And so not just a riff, trying to write whole songs with lyrics, melodies, everything. And the other guy, Leo Luke's doing the same. And we, we booked studio time and we basically clocked in kind of nine to five and just wrote. Uh, at that time we were all living in Santa Cruz and it was just, we went to the, we went to the rehearsal place in the morning, we played all day long and then clocked out and we did that almost five days a week, like a regular job. And because I was new to writing songs, uh, maybe the inspiration was just there. Like I just was writing a lot of stuff. Like it was just, there was no shortage of songs and you know, I'd go to, we'd go to practice. And at that time, because I was writing so much on my guitar, I had a, a half stack at practice and I'd bring my guitar too. So we had kind of practiced two guitars. So we could sort of test out how things would sound against each other. And, and so I would be able to go there with the guitar and sing my songs to the guys, like, here's what I'm thinking. And they could hear a vocal melody. They could hear how it was going to go. And it made things go a lot quicker. And so we just ended up with, with too many songs. Like Comprehensive Guide already has too many songs on it. By, by most album standards. And we had all these other ones. And that, that the band liked enough to where that we wanted to play them or, or render them some kind of recording. But uh, I don't remember how the actual process went as far as deciding what was gonna go where. Like now, like when we started at the Blasting Room, Bill would totally help us sequence always. Like Bill would be the guy that would be like, these are the songs, these ones you guys gotta do something else with. That at that time for comprehensive, I'm not sure how it went, but I'm sure it was some sort of, you know, simple majority with a group. And and I didn't I didn't have any real super big attachment to any of the songs. I was just writing constantly and going, here you go, here you go, here you go. And and so that's what we decided to do. Um, I think it was Chuck's idea to do the splits. Like, hey, why don't we just like find these bands that we like or are friends with and and put out splits on different labels. I know we thought it was a great idea. So, sorry, that was kind of a long-winded explanation. No, I, I was going to say you sort of already answered one of the questions. I was going to say you did this with um, with uh, Ryan Green, right? Or no, this was I'm sorry, this was uh, Andy, Andy Andy Ernst, Ernst right? Yeah, uh, who did like I know a lot of the stuff for Lookout. Uh, he did some Green bands. Day stuff back in back in the day. Yeah, so yeah. that's how that's how we knew about him. Um, and then. Jason and I were actually talking before you came on and we were saying like, then from operation Phoenix on you guys just stuck with, with bill, mm -hmm. um, which I think is an incredible combo. And, and you, you were, 
to me, I remember getting Operation Phoenix and that was like one of the first things I remembered seeing that Bill produced. Like it was one of the earlier, I'm not saying it was the first because he did the Shades Apart stuff when we talked to those guys, but um, you guys have built quite a, uh, a working relationship, um, which is awesome. I just, I love seeing when there's just this like consistency, you know, um, has nothing to do with the split, but I just, I love Bill's work. You know, obviously his songwriting and just his production um, is always just top notch. Yep. So it's cool He's great. you guys found each other. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so yeah, Ignite, were you familiar with Ignite? um by the time of the split like i know you said you kind of just recorded and we're like okay well let's see who we can do the split with was it did you said chuck was maybe the one that orchestrated that or? i think i think it was chuck's idea to do the splits uh with different labels it seems I, like something it seems like something chuck would have thought of <laughs> like he, he's got good ideas sometimes because it's we, we you i mean you had to be stoked to have something on revelation i'm sure uh oh yeah for me and chuck it was like i mean that's just was that was really cool like i i'm i'm a i'm a like mid to late 80s straight edge hardcore guy so like my whole playlist was pretty much rev and then um yeah i mean i remember going to gilman street in berkeley and seeing like youth of today and bold and underdog and judge all these bands it's cool that's what i was going to ask was it when was the first time that you went to to see one of those bands play on the west coast and and how that was and if you had a favorite of the of the east coast bands at the time well i i really loved youth of today because just the vibe was always like the shows were always crazy i mean gilman street was was its own special thing but just going to shows where there was like four or five, four or five hundred people, probably barely any of them fucked up on drugs or alcohol, just going completely berserk, mm -hmm. like just stage diving and slamming and and having such a good time. And the, the I mean, the band always managed. Every time I saw them, there was like different members. There was always Ray and Purcell. Um, but like just the the vibe was always so cool. And, and then they always, it would always be like one or two East coast bands. And then there would be some orange County bands. So like, I would see no for an answer and instead a lot, um, against the wall, uh, unit pride, uh, hard stance. And then like, uh, unit pride is a Bay area band and also breakaway. I mean, uh, breakaway used to be called rabid Lassie. I think anyway, I think, yeah. Unit pride is, a. Uh... We'll, we'll actually hopefully get to talk to Eric yeah. when we get to Nerve Eric and Grant, That's right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the one guy, I think, was it Grant, Grant you said? Yeah. He was in Screw 32, right? Yeah. 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 They were, they were also another, that was another thing. I was, you guys, AFI, Screw 32 was sort of my intro into like, at that time, modern West Coast hardcore, like where it was, had a little bit more than the melody. But I, I really liked that because I'm a person that loves melody and even like I loved the Good Riddance had the melodic, you know, sort of some poppy songs on the albums. I think it set you guys apart from maybe other bands, but it was cool to have this record where it was just like two ripping fast 
punk songs, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, so you guys had asked about Ignite. So I didn't really know about them. And then in 95, I mentioned that tour we did with Tilt. It was a grind. It was seven weeks in Europe. And it was just a gnarly tour. It was, we were new to, you know, touring that much. We'd never gone out for seven weeks and, and it was just a grind and really kind of like made our bones on that tour. Like just the, the isolation and the exhaustion and like the, after, after a while, uh, and I would just remember being in my bunk and I had a, you know, a Walkman and I listened to calling my brothers at least two or three times every single day for seven weeks. I listened to that and I listened to systems overload by integrity and I listened to both of those albums over and over and over. And that's all I did. And that's what kept me sane and uh, calling my brothers. I just, I loved, I loved it. Cause it just, it, mean, it reminded me of, you know, from choice and I, cause it was like fast, hardcore, positive. And then like really Zoli's just such a kick-ass singer. Like he's got the pipes. And so it was really inspiring for me to listen to that stuff. And so I became a huge fan um, just from listening to that album nonstop. I knew every word of every song and was stoked when we finally got a chance to, to do something with them. They were like legend. Like I said, their, their stuff on the East coast. Cause you got to think like when they came out on call of my brothers was 95. So in context, it was like kind of at the very beginning of the whole, you know, the youth crew revival and eventually we had the bands like, um, you know, Floor Punch and Ten Yard Fight and Ensign in this area um, and stuff. But Ignite comes out at a time when it was like, you know, Snapcase, Earth Crisis, which I, I love both of those bands. In fact, I saw Good Riddance with Snapcase was maybe the first time I saw you guys. Um, but Ignite comes out and for us people on the East Coast, you get this band of like these guys with the bleached hair and, you know, they were like muscular and it was just looked so different than they just came and everyone said they just ripped it up. I think they played a, a basement in New Brunswick was like their first time out here or something, um, or at least early on, someone that listens can correct me. But yeah, they were like a force at that time, even though they they were another band that had a lot of lineup changes over the years. But I mean... To me, the lineup of Zoli, Brett, Joe, and Casey was like the my favorite Ignite stuff, for sure. Because um, I call them my brothers is good. And actually, your integrity thing, I always wondered in the inside of Comprehensive Guide, I was like, is, is Russ wearing an integrity shirt? It looks like an integrity ringer. Was, that, was I correct on that? Yeah. Yeah, I love integrity. Yeah, I thought so. I was like, dude. And again, as a fat, I was like, this is so fucking cool. It's like a record on fat, and the dude's wearing a integrity. Like I, I always had that mystery. I was like, did they make a ringer? And I'm like, probably. It was the '90s. I didn't really, I didn't really come from pop punk. Like I came from, I came from like, you know, '80s punk, like Dead Kennedys, TSOL, Black Flag, you know, all that stuff. And then I got really into. You know, the late, the mid, the late eighties, like straight edge stuff, the hardcore stuff then, which was, which was all fast and positive. And, and then I got directly from that into like vermiform evolution, like polit- really political stuff like Spitboy and um, Iconoclast and bands like that, Born Against, 
Econo Christ, uh, all, all that stuff. I got really into that. And, and all this, all the whole time, I'm still listening to like, I'm listening to Killing Time every day, sick of it all, Chromags. So like I came from way more of like that kind of background. Uh, the pop, there's definitely pop stuff for us that's all completely stolen from the descendants or a, attempt to be stolen from the descendants and all. But I wasn't really from the scene of like singing about silly stuff or like goofy stuff. Like the, the view of Fat Records at that time was that it was just all silly party music. And, and that's not even really true, but that's what people thought. Yeah. I mean, but that, that, again, but that wasn't my, that wasn't my world. And the, the thing is Chuck, Chuck's from Long Beach originally and moved up to Santa Cruz. And then we met him and he joined our band. But it turns out like during the eighties, like all the shows I was seeing in the Bay area, like Chuck was seeing those same tours in Long Beach at Fenders. And so like, we had a lot of the same music backgrounds, Chuck and I, like we liked a lot of the same bands that weren't pop punk. Like we, oh, we loved Discharge and Broken Bones and GBH and like all that stuff. And then we also liked all those bands like No For An Answer and Instead, Youth Is Today, Gorilla Biscuits. So, so he and I were kindred spirits with, with that kind of music and, uh, and Luke and Sean, not so much. They kind of like tolerated it. <laughs> but sometimes I think that makes for the best bands is when like there's people coming from you know, coming at it from a different viewpoint where, you know, of course, everybody's into punk in the band. Like, it's not like you had, you know, country, you know, someone from the country scene in the, in the group or whatever, but, you know, coming from different angles at it, I think it gave a band like Good Riddance that variety. Like was, so you mentioned Born Against. And like I said, when I heard 21 Guns to me, it just sounded like Born Against meets like West Coast hardcore you know with the kind of the galloping beat to it and stuff um so that makes sense <laughs> yeah i love bloodborne against i think that with, with, a, with the different musical styles like i i think i'm responsible in hindsight for like dragging my band back and forth through these disparate musical territories that never really gave us a defined sound like if i had it to do over again i don't think i would have I don't think I would have deviated so much. Like, I think it's cool. Like we've, we've done some albums where we achieved this like linear batch of songs that have some rough edges, some, some, some melodics, some melodic stuff, but there's, there's no song that are sort of like super outliers one way or the other. Whereas I think like some out some records that we did are, are really guilty of that. And like, it's to, I think it's as a fan, it's confusing. Like, like, who is this band? Like, what are they trying to do? Like one minute they're this, they sound like this, the next minute they sound like this. And I think that as the main songwriter, like, I, I think that uh, I didn't really do us any favors by, by going that route too late now, but I think that's, that's one of those things. Yeah. To me, it have... seemed like, um, oh, go ahead, Jason. Sorry. I was going to ask Russ, do you have a favorite record? My favorite I really like the most recent one we did, Thoughts and Prayers. Uh, and I really like Symptoms of a Leveling Spirit, which came out in 2001. I think that was us at the top of our game. I think we'd really kind of nailed the, because there's, there's some angry songs, there's some, some good solid melody on there and nothing sounds too, like does nothing strays too far 
it all sounds like us. Like we want to sound like, we want to sound like California, which is where we're from and like the, the bands we grew up on, but we also come with a harder edge because we're also very much influenced by that world. And I think that symptoms, I think we just really, uh, I was coming into my own as a songwriter, I felt like, and as a singer, like it was the first time I went to the studio and wasn't like just horrified at the sound of my own voice. I was actually like experimenting with stuff and like trying things and ha didn't have a pissy attitude. And it was like, Bill and those guys are like, fuck, who's this guy? Who's this singer? Like, where's this guy then? That's a great record. And was that the split with Kill Your Idols that was recorded at this yeah. around the same yeah. time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because those songs are great too. And you had, of course, me being from Philly, you had Wagon uh, Shoots. the best drummer in Philly, uh, for sure. Uh, Wagon Shoots, you know, love his style and you know kid dynamite stuff and uh all that so that was like a match made in heaven for us here on the east coast I, I saw you guys i think a good deal around that era too i thought operation phoenix was the first one to me that seemed like you that sort of hit like what you talked about where it was streamlined a little like there wasn't really any of the really poppy stuff but it still had melody um it had very little melody Operation yeah. Phoenix, if, for good riddance, Operation Phoenix is either the album that our fans were waiting for us to make, or it's the album that made us made people never listen to us again. It's very polarizing. Really? So like See, when, I was when we put so when we put Operation Phoenix out, like yeah, all the hardcore, more hardcore kids were like, "Fuck yeah!" Like they finally are like they took the chains off and they really brought it. And then all the 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 people that like the like more fat recordsy stuff were like this is fucking lame. Like this sucks. And I uh, never saw us again. So it's, it's definitely, and it was, for me, it was not a fun album to make just personally. It was a really bad, I was in a really bad place and, and uh, I didn't have, I didn't enjoy, didn't enjoy it at all. And then I remember, I'll never forget uh, the record had come out. And I first, the first time I saw Mike who runs our label, we were playing at Berkeley square, I think. And he was at the show. He just walks up. He goes, hey, new album. Kind of just yelled your way through it, huh? And walked away. That sounds about right. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I guess he's never one to mince words. But yeah, that, I thought that uh, Symptoms record, though, was also great. And then um, the re Jason and I were talking about the, the, the you know, the, two th the latest stuff. Um, you guys are super consistent. Um, which I think is awesome. Like, like I said, like, there's not really, you know, we were talking before you got on about our good riddance stories and stuff. And um, it's just cool that you guys, like you never got bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some bands, <laughs> like you don't, you don't that's have good, a, that's good to know. Yeah, you, you don't have like a, uh, uh, I don't know, even though I like, you, you don't have a staring into the sun, or staring at into the, the sun unknown. Is that the name of the battle? Yeah, into, into the, you don't have an into the unknown. Um, Dude, like I was, I loved Uniform Choice. Like I loved Uniform Choice and I, but I never got to see them until staring into the sun tour. And it was such a bum out. Like, <laughs> like I rolled up to Gilman street and uh, instead was main support just fucking blew them away. And then they come out and like Pat's got like long hair and bare feet. And like nowadays, you know, I was at the age where like, you know, 
hardcore had to look and sound a certain way or else it wasn't legit. You know what I mean? Today, you know, this, this version of me would have gone and been like, that's cool. Like, awesome. I, I wouldn't have been so judgmental and stupid, but I, I was, I was not stoked to see that version of uniform choice after listening to screaming for change for 10 years, you know? So. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine. I, I always say like, I actually like that record for what it is, but I think that it's, I mean, screaming for change is a top five straight edge hardcore album for me. Like I think yeah. it's like just one of the best and I can't imagine in real time experiencing that because there's no like, they didn't have anything in between to kind of like, like I look at a band like AFI, who I really like almost all their catalog. And if you listen to it in order, you can like kind of see the, you know, the steps moving towards where they would go. I think like each one kind of, each record kind of was built off the last one. And same thing with um, even like someone like, you know, like Goo Goo Dolls. Like I think people, you know, it's like, well, if you listen to them in order, you can kind of see where they're going. But Uniform Choice didn't have that. It was like, no. it was like they had Scream for Change and they had that record and it was just so different. And also they had become immensely more popular after Screaming for Change, but hadn't really played. Like they, they, they put out Screaming for Change. They played a ton in, in Southern California and then they didn't play a lot. And like you said, they didn't release anything. And so here comes Screaming for Chain. Here comes Uniform Choice. And it's everyone's like, fuck yeah. And then like, what, what you got, it's like what, what you ordered on Wish and what you got. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing. And, and it like was free like, internet. So it today, wasn't like you could yeah, Google today, the set today list. Today I'm, I'm like, I'd like to think I'm more open-minded. I, I listened to a lot of stuff on Sirius XM First Wave, like bands and music that I, that was, that was popular when I was in high school that I completely dismissed because I was newly punk and like that stuff was just stupid. But now I listen to like the Smiths and the Cure and like, I'm like, this is pretty bitching. But so maybe if I went to see that Uniform Choice show today, I would have, I would have appreciated it more and not just been full of, full of judgment and attitude, but, but I was. Did they play Screaming for Change songs? I'm sure they did. Yeah, they had to have, but I'm I sure understand exactly what you're saying. I saw video of that era, like, I think that song, and... that song, Cut of a Different Cause, is the only one that sounded remotely like old Uniform Choice to me. Yes. A song that, yeah. So that, yeah. I heard that song. I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe there's going to be more like this, but there wasn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they, that was when they were going through their cult. Like, they wanted to sound like the cult. Um, yeah. And I love the cult, but I want Uniform Choice to sound like Uniform Choice, not like the cult. Yeah, it sucks for, for bands because they they're victims of their own success, right? Like once this thing hits, like the people aren't going to let you be anything else. And then you just become a, you just become a jukebox. And so uh, I think that it's kind of a double-edged sword. Cause if you, if you stick to your guns and follow your, your vision, your fans don't accept you anymore. But then if you don't do that, you just become like a dog and pony show. You're just a jukebox. Like I love the psychedelic furs, but, and for years and years and years, I would go see them and they play all the hits. They play all the songs you want to hear. And then two years ago, they put out their first new album in like 20 something years. And I fucking loved it. And I love the fact that they had new songs and that they sounded, uh, that it still sounded like them, but it also sounded very modern. Like it could have been, it sounds like the national or a band like that. And so uh, I think that, 
it's sort of tough for it was like like uniform choice was in a tough spot because they'd hit with a specific style and look and and approach and because that's what everybody loved they didn't have the room to to do anything else and even though the people in the band might be there's going like fuck we got to play this you know we got to play in time again like really and then but that's what people want to hear so it's always a it's always tough for bands like like any band that like is trying to write a set list or they have if you've got a lot of releases it's like what do you want to do you want to play the songs that you guys want to play or do you want to play the songs that you know people want to hear or what's what's a happy medium in between where where like tour doesn't just become a drudgery uh it's hard yeah and i wonder too that's probably why a lot of hardcore bands usually only last a couple records because otherwise you know do you want to put out the same like as much as like would we want to hear screaming for change eight times like i can't imagine them doing that record you know eight times like say they stayed together and just i mean bad, bad religion can pull it off uh you know very very much like the same like you know what you're gonna get not like they're not like they're re recycling the songs or they're not being creative but but they're also there's not going to be a lot of like curveballs right and like as a as a fan like i like that new new lyrics to, to check out like maybe some new layers in the recording process but generally if i listen to bad, bad religion album i know what i'm going to get i'm going to get like really smart lyrics really great melodies and and a pretty pretty good fast punk stuff and so and the ramones ramones same way uh, i think that it it's really tough because I mean, look what happened to SSD, like where SS, how SSD started and where they ended up, like it's, it's so, it's so sad, but they were just following their vision. Like they, I know you guys have probably all watched that movie, American hardcore. Yeah. Like Dave Smalley really summed it up. He's like all, all the bands were decorating their houses and, and pretty soon they're putting up, putting up some pretty weird curtains. Like you, you start, you start out as a band. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're just kind of hammering away. If you play enough, sooner or later, you're going to learn how to play your instrument. And sooner or later, like those same three chords aren't going to do it for you as a, as a musician. Cause now you're a musician, you know, now you know what you're doing. And now you're kind of like your, your ceiling is suddenly higher. And you're like looking up out of, over the mountain. You're like, Oh, there's another mountain over there. Like I've been sitting here in this thing, playing this, this whole time. Like there's this other thing. And so, uh, but punk, Punk didn't want that. Punk wanted you to stay in your, stay in your lane. And so, when SSD didn't stay in their lane, like it, it didn't go real well for them. I'm trying to think of who pulled it off the best of like, you know. Well, minor they, threat because they they got they breached the top and they fucking stopped. Like, yeah, that's, that's who that's who that's who pulled it off the best. Yeah, true. There's, there's a there's acoustic guitar on that last EP. No one cares. Um, that's a good point. So, so it's either that or. Or, or you you morph into something else. Uh, I think that, or or you start a new band. Like that's the best thing to do is to like, just don't try to don't try to sell this anymore as something else. Like if you really want to go a new direction, like get to get some new people and and like really make a new band. Like like from underdog to into another something like that. Yeah, that's a great point too. Like they didn't he Richie didn't just like keep trying to do underdog and turn it into into another he just did something different yeah i think that's and, i think that's the way to go and then 
also like as much as I loved that whole like late 80s era of like in the East, East Coast of like Gorilla Biscuits, Bold, Judge, Youth of Today. Uh, and then out here we had, you know, the big ones was Instead and No for an Answer. Like it, it all became very quickly, it became very uniform and, and everyone looking and sounding the same. And like, I'm now at a show and like every single dude there has got camo shorts, Nike Airs and a shaved head, like every single guy at the show. And, um, and then just, you know, 400 suburban white males singing about how racism and sexism was bad. And, and um, it just became kind of like a, like almost a joke of itself. And I mean, I'm, I'm speaking as like someone who was there and was a fan and loved it, mm-hmm. but I also was like, could, see, could sort of see the irony. So it's not, it's no surprise that that didn't last long. It's no surprise that I remember when judge came out in 1990. So I was going to shows in like 87, 88 judge comes to Gilman in 1990 play a matinee. And we drove up early cause we thought there'd be, you know, we'd be fucking sold out. Like, and there was not barely anybody there. Like it was, not even close to being full for judge oh, wow. by 1990. Yeah. I mean, we, us doing this podcast, we too, we got to almost, ex- I don't want to say we experienced, we didn't get to experience it in real time, but going in chronological order and talking to, you know, I mean, from, we didn't get to talk to anybody for Warzone seven inch and then the, t- uh, the uh, together comp. But basically after that, we got to talk to somebody involved with every record since from sick of it all onward. And you sort of do get to kind of see the way the sea change came. You know, you see those, the early stuff and how it kind of hit its peak. And then, yeah, you did have the quicksands and shelter and Fugazi. into another yeah. and yeah, yeah that's and, right. all, and all that stuff that was just like, pushing boundaries music made by people that came from hardcore punk but doing something different um which i always like i mean i'm with i mean even bands i've been in that are you know not well known it's like yeah you 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 want to write new songs you want to like learn new tricks if you learn you know oh now i can kind of know how to sing or now i know how to play guitar better so why aren't i gonna play that in and it is, it's tough because you get put into a box. Like even, and even when you don't, like you said, if it's somebody, if it's a band that's still putting out good records, but still people really just want to hear the the old stuff. Like, do you, do you see that? Like when Good Riddance plays, do you, are your set lists, um, like, do you find that you're having to reach back a lot or do you, do you guys mix it up or? We try to put a, at least one song from every release or every album. Like for our, for our shows, usually there's like, if we're headlining, cause we do a lot of times where we're like supporting a bigger band still. And then it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like we're just trying to play the best songs we can because maybe a bunch of these people haven't seen us before, but if we're headlining and so that you assume that the people that are mostly there are there to see us, there are certain songs that you kind of have to play or else they come with the torches and pitchforks for you. So like, we got to play those songs. And then it's like, do we have a new release? So let's, let's put like three or four, maybe three songs from a new release in there. Or, uh, yeah, I mean, Chuck and Luke basically are the set list guys. 
and they'll sort of send out their ideas. And I, I rarely chime in. Like I'm, I'm cool with, I'm cool with whatever, but with the more releases you get, yeah, it's hard because it's like, which, which of your children do you love the least, you know? Yeah. And it's like, if you're, we were talking actually earlier about the, the like ideal length for like a hardcore punk band set list, you know, like, cause it's, it's tough, I think, to fill the space. Like, I don't necessarily want to see a hardcore band play for an hour and a half. Like, no, they can't do it. So it's like, yeah, like you said, like, what do you, what do you do? Like, you have nine full lengths. Mm -hmm. So even if that's already nine songs, if you did one from each one, and then of course you're going to pick some other hits and like that time fills up fast. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know? it just, it seems like we find a, find a way. I mean, there's, and there's, you know, bands, there's bands that have it worse for sure. Like Pennywise or Bad Religion they put out a ton of releases. So what do you, what do you not include? You know, what are, what are your yeah. fans going to come after you with a pitch of pitchforks and torches if you don't play? You know, Pennywise is like, you know, they have to play Broham. They have to. Even if no, even if everyone in the band is sick of it, like they have to play it. Uh, Psychedelic first have to play Pretty in Pink, even though it's not their favorite song to play. Like they have to play it. Sick of it all is a band where they they tend to, I think, cater, which I think is smart. They'll like cater their set list, like really good about, I think knowing what kind of set list to play depending on what show like if they're playing with a bunch of like you know late 80s reunion bands they're going to probably stick to those first couple records but then if they play you know with dropkick murphys or something as long play, as they play in justice system they're doing it right yeah <laughs> and like and they managed to i think like i've never left and been like bummed and sick of it all set because i feel like they do a pretty good job of like what they do, what I've noticed that they do, because we've done a lot of shows of them, is they 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 kind of fluctuate with the hits. So like they'll, if you play, if you see them a bunch of times, they'll play like these certain songs that are big hits, and then like two weeks later, they they've same album but other songs. Like there's, it's not a like we're very 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 regimented because of some people in our band's time management and just not not being able to like. Like if I, if I had my way, we would, someone yelled out a song, we'd fucking play it. Mm -hmm. But, but not everybody can learn those songs. So like we, we have a set list and those are the songs that we're going to play in that tour and that's it. And there's no, there's no room for, for variation. And I kind of wish there was, but, but sick of it all seems like they can pull from, pull from way back and they can, they can change not so much on the fly, but like during a tour, they can move songs around that are from the same era, from the same set list. So, so you're, your fan who, who really loves album X is still going to be stoked because they heard this song, even though like a week ago they were playing a different song from that album. Yeah. I think they've got a, yeah. they've got a really good like approach to it. I think. Yeah. And Lou, Lou, I know I've seen interviews too, where he talks about, cause they're a band that in theory, they could just never make any records again if they wanted and just go out and play, you know, successful to do successful tours without having new material and he was talking about how everybody's always a record behind like they'll put out a new record they'll be playing a bunch of stuff from it people don't really seem to be receptive then the next album comes out and then everybody's like finally catching on to the one before like um yeah it's hard the way that people consume music today uh the way i consume music i'm, I'm as guilty as anybody like 
it used to be I, I would get that record home and open up that lyric, lyric sheet and put, up, put that record on and I knew every song by, by the end of the day. And uh, I don't consume music that way anymore. So if a friend's band, like if Pennywise puts a new album out, I'll listen to, I'll listen to the whole thing twice, at least, always. And then like find the songs that I really like and kind of request those or put them in a playlist or whatever. But the way that we all consume music has changed so much. And so it's yeah. tougher when we're like, what, go back to Lou's point, like you're not really touring albums anymore like you used to. And there's really not even a reason for bands to release albums anymore uh, the way that we used to. There's really not a reason for it, except that it's what we've always done. And then usually after a year of touring, for a, for a working band like sick of it all like you're done with those songs and you want to you want to like sink your teeth into something new you've probably been noodling with stuff at sound check somebody you know you're on the bus with your guitar and so you're you're aching to play new stuff because like sick of it all could do what you said but i don't think they would be stoked i think they would be wanting to create always new stuff yeah no i, I definitely feel that too you talked about lyrics and I wanted to ask you about the lyrics for 21 Guns. You just kind of explain what the, what the meaning is behind those lyrics. And I was really curious about if anyone with a military background has approached you and talked to you about those lyrics and if you had any kind of interaction with someone that was memorable, because I know Good Riddance just played Norfolk and that's a naval base area. And I know that there's a lot of people that came to that show and are fans of Good Riddance. So I just was curious about that. I've had some discussions with, with people who are either currently in the military or, or had been. Not so much about that song, but just about my opinion that, that wars of aggression don't solve anything and just line the pockets of war profiteers while, while America's poor put themselves in harm's way. Like I, I've always thought it was strange that the, the people who are the most, who are the most, who, who are the most uh, supportive of administrations who are, who are fond of wars of aggression are the same people whose sons and daughters are, are used as cannon fodder in those wars. Like it doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, I've had some people come at me, not nothing really bad. And, and, it's, it's like, yeah, I, I, I want all the soldiers to come home and in one piece and safe. And, and I think that uh, our, our foreign policy is one train wreck after another. And I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to see that. And I think it's dangerous to conflate, to conflate um, being permissive of that those kind of policies with with any kind of patriotism or love or love of one's country or not i think it's dangerous to conflate those two things that's just my opinion i'm a hippie i mean I'm, what am i gonna do <laughs> well i it's it's got to be it's kind of nuts that this record is now over 25 years old right and the lyrics are still relevant like when you're you know like a lot of these political lyrics that aren't super top like obviously a song just about ronald reagan or something although still relevant in in some ways is also a little bit too topical but a lot of the bands like good riddance that were writing these political lyrics back then 
sadly, like you can still play these songs today. Oh, and yeah. it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not dated, which is well, like- I, I always wanted, I always wanted to write about, so I, I love the Dead Kennedys, but I also think that like, like the holiday in Cambodia doesn't ring the same way today that it did when it was written. And, and so their, their lyrics were very topical. Like there was no mistaking the exact event or thing it was, it was about, which at the time was really powerful. And even though those songs, I think are timeless and the band's sound, I think that as, as we move decades and decades past those specific events, the, it's harder for a listener to, listener today to listen to dead kennedys and be like oh yeah i don't know exactly what they're talking about and so and maybe that's a failure of our education system but i i've always tried to write more like what are what are the social and political undercurrents or or um what's in the waters that has allowed this sort of thing to to coalesce or happen and more more so addressing that because you can't undo uh you know, you can't undo Pol Pot, but you can examine like what what could or or like Hitler. You can't undo Hitler, but you can examine the the social and political uh, undercurrent which would allow the ascension of somebody like that. And then, what do we do about that? And how do we prevent that from happening to our country or to our town or or our scene or whatever? So, I think that I've always tried to write things that that could be about a lot of things. But unfortunately, like you said, like when I'm on stage singing Last Believer, which I wrote in, I think, 1993 after the after the Rodney King riot, Burdick riots. And it's like you can just write that about like two summers ago. And uh, it's, it's sort of bogus. Um, I think that if America in general had paid more attention to articles of faith lyrics, then we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in now. Vic Bondi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the, one, like one of the smartest, one of the smartest something? people in hardcore, if not in the world. Yeah, he's like a PhD, right, or something like that. I don't know. I know he's something. Yeah. I know he's something. No, I, got, I, I got smarter to, than me. I got to. I got to virtually meet him on uh, a podcast that Dana Mahoney was doing, and I was like, I was super fanboy, fanboying, uh, trying, cool. to, trying not to punish him too hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, because we did. We got to. Uh, I did a. For, for our podcast, we did a live live streams, uh, I guess like, wow, it was like a year ago and talked to Joe from Rise Against and he plays in the band, you know, the dead ending with Vic and uh, my friend, Jeff Dean. Um, so that that was cool. But yeah, there's a lot of smart people that, that came from the punk hardcore scene. I think that's that could be its whole other uh, like podcast and just thinking about I'm always amazed when people that come from this scene take that like right turn. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm just like, I'm aware where you even list and it's, it's very disheartening. Um, so it, I think it's awesome when I do see the people that I looked up to when I was 15 and bands and there's, they're, they're still out there fighting the good fight for lack of a better term. Like they're not, they didn't become old and cynical and, you know, super right-wing conservative, you know, conspiracy theory, nut jobs. Um, and I think that's cool. And it's inspiring um, to see for sure, because 
it can get yeah. pretty disheartening when you look at some of these people that I thought, you know, like I, I mean, so much of my belief system literally came from records. It didn't come from school, it came from like, that was like what I learned from was punk lyrics and realizing like, you know, stuff that may be simple to some people, but you're growing up in a suburb suburbia. You don't think about all this stuff, you know? Well, I think that the, the person that I am and like my belief system is almost entirely shaped from punk and hardcore music. Like I, I was radicalized in, in what I believe is the best possible way. And, and I, I'm grateful for that. Um, also like I'm from, I'm from Santa Cruz, which has always been like a super liberal hippie um, kind of town. And so that, that probably helps shape it. Um, there's all kinds of things, but definitely being, being always drawn to the more political music. Like I got into the dead Kennedys and then from there I was, you know, it was crass. And uh, so I always was drawn to the more political and social stuff to me. And, but th that's a problem. It, well, not a problem, but when you talk about people that don't, you may, that maybe like, haven't you been listening to this band's lyrics? Like, how could you think this way now? Um, I think that it's dangerous to, to assume that like, I, I have to, it is dangerous for me to assume that, that people who come to our band have to take what I want them to take away from it. And as much as I would, I, I mean, I think the world would be a better place if everybody listened to Oracles of Faith and then, you know, the world would be a lot better. And, but, but that's not how it works. And, and I'm kind of glad that's not how it works. And as long as a band isn't, isn't like patently racist, sexic or xenophobic or anything like that, like, I think there's gotta be room for everybody to do their thing. And for, for a person to come to punk, come to hardcore and take from it what they, what they want. And, uh, and so we can sit here and I, I can sit here and like moan about how the message is lost. And like, I just see all these drunken bros fighting and nobody's really changing the world like we thought they were, but that's kind of how it goes. Like we don't get to, I don't get to define what the listener or attendee experience is. And I don't get to follow that person home and make sure that they vote the way I want them to and do all this stuff. Like I don't get to do that. And, and it's a good thing. Uh, but that's that's a thing we wrestle with where when you talk about being 20 something years in and like these lyrics are still rel totally relevant, like the world is still so fucked up and it doesn't have to be. And that's a tragedy. Uh, and I thought, like a lot of people, I thought that that punk and hardcore had a place as relevant social movements. Uh, I, I think about it the most when we play punk rock bowling and here's here's thousands of people from all over the place all with like these political punk patches on their jackets. And you could assume are generally like-minded about things like um, healthcare and equal rights and stuff like that. And, and we have a chain we're here. We all are, we're all together in this one place and we're, we're, we're a powerful, we're a powerful entity, but generally most people just want to get drunk and puke and pass out at punk rock bowling. That's been my experience. And to me, it's a wasted opportunity. Like we're all together now. Let's fucking march somewhere. Like let's let's press our demands. Like let's do let's let's blockade the fucking strip. Like let's do something. Like 
but I don't, but I'm not in charge of that. And thank God, you know, because it's, it's, I don't know. That was a really long winded thing. Sorry. Well, That's, I mean, it was also too, I think a lot of weight to put on an artist's shoulders as well. If you think about it, like you gotta, you know, you have to, you wrote these lyrics, so you need to lead the charge. And it's like, yeah, it's true. That's kind of a lot to put on somebody as well, though. It's like, like, I mean, look at a band like um, Rage Against the Machine. Like, I think they're a great example of somebody who, you know, they're out there and they, they preach their message. But I mean, we'd be fools to think that at their shows, it's like, you know, 30,000 like-minded people. There's all kinds of people there. Um, I also think it's tough when you when you sign to a major label. It's like someone like me is gonna is gonna take a longer look at 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 your message if you're in bed with with the the culture industry. And that's not that's not a dig at, I guess Rage Against the Machine because they're not the only ones. But as soon as the band becomes you know gets in bed with a culture industry like that. Then I'm going to wonder about any, any kind of anti-establishment message that they have more so than they would have if they were on an independent label. If you guys know what I mean. Yeah, oh yeah, and and that's funny. I, I it's it's just fresh on my mind because I, I just finished. We've mentioned before in here. I finished that book, Sell Out. I don't know if you read that. Uh-uh. Um, where it's like it it's, goes from like '94 to 2007, and it goes through different punk bands that signed to majors. So it has like a chapter on Green Day, a chapter on Jawbreaker, and it has you know, in, in probably more part of your world, it has against me, it has rise against. Um, and it's, it's really interesting um, to see where people's heads were at when they made these, you know, decisions. Um, and I, I did think, you know, as a fan, I remember thinking it was really weird when like these political bands would um, sign, but at the same time, I get it. Um, and I, I don't, Begrudge, I think some of them put out their their best stuff like on well, take, the major. Take, labels. Also, take take a look at Rise Against, for example. Like, just from an animal right as an animal rights activist, like I can scream about all day long to the two hundred whatever people at the Good Riddance show, but Rise Against are playing like arenas, and they're talking about it, and so they're like way more effective, and so if somebody's in that, in that position and has that platform and like for me, like as, as a like-minded person to them, I'm like, that's cool because thousands and thousands more people are going to hear about it when you guys say it than if I say it. So there's, there's that side of it too. Or like raising it, raging against a machine. Like I'm not a fan of the music, but I am a fan of the message. And because of their popularity, maybe that seed gets planted in people's heads who wouldn't have otherwise gotten it. Yeah. And, and that's, that was going to be my sort of counterpoint, even to my own thought process as a kid, when you'd be like, Oh, they sign. Like I look at a band like rise against who I feel that did everything the right way. Um, I feel that they, they did the thing where they had the message signed and then just got that message out to more people. And, you know, again, we talked to Joe on the live stream. He's just a fucking hardcore kid. Like he's just, you know, he was same t- as talking to him as any of the other people. Yeah, but he Joe, Joe thinks that naked Joe thinks that naked Reagan is the best Chicago band, so he's misguided. 
Who's the best Chicago? Articles of faith. Articles, Articles of, of faith. faith. <laughs> no. Me and me and Principe go back and forth all the all the time. He'll laugh if you guys tell him about this. Oh, that's funny. But but yeah, like I love that. I love that they used their platform and uh, talked about things. You know, even just bringing things like straight edge into the lexicon for kids. Um, you know, that's important. I I had a really dig to find straight edge, but maybe there's a kid who has you know, here's rise against and we'll then listen to hardcore and learn about politics and learn about not eating meat and learn, you know, that there's other stuff out there. So it's, it's definitely, it can be a, a powerful thing. I yeah. think, uh, if you do it right. Um, that, that whole, that whole thing, that whole, that whole time period you're talking about ruined a lot of good bands. Um, but they, but they did it to themselves. But there's, it's there's interesting a, when you read it in the book and you see some of them succeeded. I mean, for every Green Day, there was a bunch that. That's what I'm saying. Like Green Day and, did. Yeah. Green Day did great. Offspring did great. But not everybody, not everybody got that. And uh, it's it's uh, it's sort of a sad. It's a sad period. It's funny. It's funny too having having lived through it and having peers that were part of that. Like. I never thought, because the culture industry, what it does, it like it finds a type of music that that may be becoming popular, and it it latches onto it, and like bleeds it dry of anything that once made it cool, and then spits it out, throws it away, moves on to the next one, and like the whole time, when the culture industry was telling us like, hey, White Lion and White Snake are really important bands, like you guys should check them out, like we had this punk thing going on, like parallel to that, and we were just laughing, we're like. This is, this is fucking great and MTV doesn't care and, and I'm glad they don't care and and then all of a sudden like it was our turn and it was really sketchy like I thought I never thought that the culture industry would try to try to come after us Did people but come you, after good, good yeah that's what I was gonna I ask mean, you because you guys were too. literally I mean I'm sure rise against I mean was around the same time when you were doing uh symptoms of the leveling like you know I'm thinking like 2001 you guys, you know, we're peers and I don't see the music being that different. You know, it's not that different. It's kind of the same spirit. You know, obviously both bands sound. We never, we never had anything like that for, for whatever reason. Uh, either we just were not good enough or, or maybe we were too, too obviously going to not be interested. Yeah. Plus like, like for us, we were so lucky. We, I mean, we landed on Fat Records for our first label, and like, they backed us 100%. They never told us what to do. They made it easy for us to tour. And it's like, what? Why would you leave that? For me, like, why would you leave that? Yeah, yeah. And so Mike so talked about that in the. Um, he actually, it was funny. He says in the book that when Rise Against said they were gonna sign, he told them to. He's like, yeah, go for it. But he actually said with against me, he was like advising them not to do, you know, not to do it. He's like, it's a bad, he was like, it's a bad decision. I don't think you should do it. Which again, I think is speaks to him as a as a label owner and um, you know, kind of knowing too, like he, it's you can tell he cares about the bands. And you know, of course, it's much like Discord, it's like famous, like they don't really do contracts, it's just album by album. His whole idea is like, hey, if, if you want to be on the label and you want to do another record and we want to do another one with you, cool. If not, 
hey, best of luck to you. Um, and some bands come back. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was that was pretty cool. That was um, a that was a really weird time in music. Like, I never thought it would happen to punk. Yeah. yeah I mean, so he, I, I, I recommend the book. If, uh, oh yeah, I, I'll bet it's fascinating. So. Going back to the seven inch for each release, we talk about the artwork for the record. What can you tell us about the artwork for the good ridden side? I've got this, <laughs> I've got the shirt I acquired and Greg's is that, got the seven is that, inch. I don't even know what's on the seven inch. That's it, got this it, on the, it's got that. Okay. And then it's is, got Ignite's side is different, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ignite's is just yeah, like a live shot. Uh, yeah, that that photo, that art that we did was was on the was on T-shirts that we had, ninety five, ninety six, ninety six probably. That would have been all Chuck, Chuck, and his his a really good friend named named uh, Eli Atkins who's done a lot of our layouts and artwork and okay. stuff. So uh, I don't know if Eli did that one specifically, but Chuck has always been kind of the guy that either takes stuff to Eli or Serge. Uh, Sergi, who's in Sam I Am, does a lot of layout stuff for bands too. Um, I I would be like, I would be involved maybe at the end, like, hey, do you, can you approve the, approve this? Yeah. Or or I might be like, hey, conceptually, what if we went with something like this? But generally, like the artwork has always been kind of in Chuck's Chuck's uh, purview. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't say in here unless I'm missing it. No, I I'm didn't see what I, it didn't say who did the lab, but also I like how on the label it says, What does it say? These songs are not owned by Revelation Records. It says something like oh, that. Oh, on the late on the, yeah, on on the, the actual, actual label, yeah. Oh, it says these songs belong to good riddance. Yeah, but go. but I I I I always took that as just saying like this is the good riddance side and this okay. is the ignite side, but I don't know if there was something deeper and the etching says on the on the good ridden side says vegan or death in the uh in the runoff and ignites says past our means that's not too fun i like yours better <laughs> yeah good it's like, it's that like, one. yeah it's like it's like ignites spun the like hardcore phrase wheel and like <laughs> it's just like all right we'll do that yeah the hardcore phrase dartboard like they close their eyes and just threw the dart <laughs> so um i guess in closing uh one of the things we do we do talk although we haven't had many splits we did the ice burn engine kid split isn't that the only other split yeah it's been is. there so far yeah but we do hot tracks now granted there's only two good riddance songs to choose from on the good riddance side um, and then two on the Ignite side. So um, I want to ask Jason first, his hot tracks on both sides. Can you oh, do both, on both sides? sides? Uh, yeah. Tw let's just do one for the whole record. <laughs> okay. 21, 21 Guns, it just fucking rips. I, Russ, I like your voice. I always liked how melodic it was, but to hear it get so harsh at the end of that song is just fucking killer. And it's so funny to me that you said that you were listening to... Um, systems overload because i always thought that that sounded like integrity at the end i didn't think it sounded like born against but i guess my familiarity with born against is less than integrity but even at the end of that final ring out and that oh i just always love that so it was cool to go back and listen to this record no, i was i was fully on a right on a born against uh, fantasy kick there 
Okay. Yeah, that's my hot track too for the whole, the whole record. Not even the, the not just the singing, but the guitar playing. Like it's 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 the way. Um, what was his name? Adam. Yeah, he lives in yeah. Richmond. Yeah, the way he played guitar. I love the way he played guitar. It wasn't. He had his own kind of chord structures. A lot of like a lot like a lot like Dan Yeman. Like you think yeah. you know what he's playing, but you really don't know what he's playing until you actually watch him do it live. And uh, yeah, so like the the guitar. The way the guitar is uh, and the singing is very influenced by by Born Against. But yeah, Jason, good call on that one. I think I mean I love the Ignite side, but the <clears throat> Past Our Means is on the is already on the the twelve inch for this Rev Fifty Four, and then the other songs the Bad Brains cover. Um, so the Good Riddance, I love, and I don't know, like I love splits like this where it sort of introduces a band from one world into another, like you said, Russ, earlier. Um, so this was important to me because it got me into good riddance. Um, and like, it reminds me of the Screeching Weasel Born Again split was like the same type of thing. Like I was super into Screeching Weasel and then I heard the Born Again stuff and I went kind of down that road. So splits are important, I guess, is the uh, the moral of the story. Good like, splits. And this is a good yeah, one. A good yeah. split is... is uh, uh, definitely like a worthwhile thing so do you have a hot track of uh any of the i don't even remember the the ignite songs i know that i knew that i knew there was a bad brand cover like i listened to it when it came out but i haven't listened to it in forever i don't i don't own one i don't have any mm. uh, i mean I, 21 guns we've we've actually played a couple times in the last several years we played live uh the class war thing i, I don't Looking back now, I don't think it was a good idea. I think the, the breakdown is too clumsy. Um, and then um, the rest of it's just, I was trying to rip off Abolish Government by TSOL. Mm. But um, <laughs> so 21 Guns, I think, is the stronger of the two of our, of our songs. Yeah. Hot track for sure. That song rules. Yeah. And for yeah. people that we don't, for the first time that we talk to people, we normally ask them what their hot track is on the way it is comp. Is that, that's the 1988 one? Yeah. The New York City. So like the 12 yeah. inch version, yeah. not the. Yeah. Was it nausea on that? Yes. Nausea is on that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think probably I'm most, I love all the, all the songs, but the nausea song, I just, it's so, it's so different than everything else that's on there really, except for like super touch maybe, but kind of cool that they put that on there. And like nausea was a big part of that scene. And, but it's not, it's like the, it's the, definitely the, the outlier. Yeah, um, for sure. And that song rules. I, I love that whole comp. I mean, I, I listened to that thing a million times. Probably that, yeah, the, the first thing that popped on my head was a nausea song nice good that's a cool answer yeah so um i guess in closing too we want to tell people that you do have a new solo record out i know we're talking all about the past we're you know uh which we're want to do we you know that's our whole thing as we're going through the rev catalog but uh there is a new solo album come together fall apart um it's on all the streaming platforms uh and where would be the best place if someone wanted to purchase it so apparently in the U.S. it's 
say 10 records in Canada, it's cursed blessings. And then it's spam in, in Europe. Okay. So I guess that's, I guess what's what happens. That's what happens nowadays. Your record gets put out by three different labels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We see, Stephan, we've seen Stephan, that a lot actually. Stefan from spam is the one that approached me and like made it all happen. And then, uh, yeah. So he, so spam is probably going to be the best bet for vinyl, but maybe say 10. I actually, I should know this and I don't, I'm sorry guys. I don't, okay. I don't really know. <laughs> you have any plans to tour? Yeah, I'm supposed to be going to the East Coast in April, like uh, uh, Boston, New Haven, Brooklyn, Philly, hopefully New Jersey show, like that kind of run. Okay, sweet. That'll be that'll be the second half of April, and then I'm oh, nice. in March. I'm going to Europe solo. And when you come to the East Coast, is it was do you just come solo or do you have a, a band? Yeah, I just by myself. Yeah, nice. I'm bringing a friend, uh, Karina. This uh, friend of mine that she's from fullerton and she's played she does acoustic stuff so like we've played together a few times so she's coming along for those east coast shows and then to look i'll have to look out when you're in philly yeah we're um, playing that's going to be the 20th of april okay yeah and then uh anything on the horizon for for good riddance i know it's been a couple years since thoughts and uh thoughts and prayers yeah we didn't really get to tour it properly we toured it a little bit and then the pandemic happened and we have, we're doing one of the, Pennywise is doing five records in five nights in Santa Ana. I was just going to bring and, that up. When and so we're, we're playing, we're playing one of those nights, which is going to be fucking rad. And then we have a Europe, a Europe thing book for June, which was supposed to be happening last year. So we're getting a chance to go to Finland for the first time and Norway for the first time. So we're pretty stoked about that. Awesome. So it's a typical Europe thing in the summer, like festivals and then filling the week with club shows and maybe combining with, I think we're playing with uh, maybe Lagwagon here or there, some other bands, um, and then some headlining shows. So we're, we're going to try to have a pretty busy summer, and then I'm sure I'll start writing some new stuff. Awesome. And then uh, which, which Pennywise 90, which record are you playing? We're full circle. Uh, okay. What's your favorite Pennywise record? Do you have one? I really like the first two. I like, uh, I think it's called, Re is it Reason to Believe? Yeah, it's a later one. Yeah, I like that one. I, I pretty much like anything they did. I like the last thing they did, uh, Never Gonna Die or something like that. Um, it's funny, I don't remember the name of the album. Came out a couple years ago. Well, that's why, because like you said, the way we consume music is different. You didn't. But I remember when it came out and I remember listening to it and just being like these motherfuckers, like every song is great, like no skips. And, um, but I, I like full circle too. Like that's, that's one I've listened to probably like the second or third most is that, and this, that's the night we're playing. So I'm, I'd be stoked any night, but I'm, I'm going to be extra stoked to hear them play all those songs. Yeah. That's I, I I definitely grab. I really like the first one. I thought the first album. I was told it's just like West Coast hardcore. Like you can see why Instead was on. You know, I thought it just sounded like kind of like what Instead was doing on the last on their last album. Um, just sounded like you know Pennywise first record just sounded like that. So that should be a fun fun bunch of shows uh, for people that are going out there and it's cool that you guys are on it 
And uh, I don't know, thank you so much for your time and getting to talk old hardcore. Yeah, thanks for hanging fun. with us. Hopefully see you in Richmond sometime. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Be on the lookout. Thanks so much. What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Listen, if, you're, uh, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that right here normally you would hear me, Greg, and Jason talk about the record that you just heard the interview from. But we changed the structure a little bit. Now, to access that part of the episode, you have to be a Patreon supporter. So head on over to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. You can learn about how to do that. There's all kinds of stuff. You know, there's prizes and giveaways and we make stuff for you and all kinds of stuff like that. It's pretty cool. While I'm here, I might as well give a special bit up bow to our top tier Patreon subscribers. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Dustin Perry, JPD2, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Nate, of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Hey, like I said, go to www.wherewhenpodcast.com, learn about more info about Patreon, and also subscribe to our email list, which gets you the best uh, Revelation Records discography in the whole world. Other than that, we'll see you next episode. Bidipo.